Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Summer doesn't last forever. Don't you want to speed up your recruiting efforts so you can enjoy what's left of it? Here's some good news if you're looking to make great hires. For a limited time, Adweek Jobs is offering unlimited job postings for one year. Take advantage of this opportunity and capture the best talent in the industry. Adweek job postings are promoted across all of our platforms and featured alongside relevant content on our site. And right now, the timing is perfect since Adweek's news team is focusing on talent and career development this month. Turn on your out-of-office and relax. Let us find your new hires. But hurry, because this limited-time offer ends August 31st. You don't need a promo code. Just visit adweek.com and look for Adweek Jobs at the top of the site, where you'll see a link for unlimited job postings. Get unlimited postings today, because you deserve an endless summer. You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. It's the Adweek podcast where we talk about marketing, media, advertising, technology, pop culture, because in the end, everything's an ad. I'm David Greiner. I'm the creative editor with Adweek. And with me, we've got a fun group of folks this week, Katie Richards, a staff writer on the Brand Marketing Beat. Katie, always great to have you back. Hello. Thanks for having me back. Uh, and we've also got Kelsey Sutton, a staff writer. Uh, well, tell us about your beat, Kelsey. We haven't had you on before, so tell us uh, specifically what you're covering. Uh, sure. Uh, thanks for having me on. I uh, cover tech and data, data privacy, uh, the ways that marketers are using data in interesting and innovative ways. And I'm really happy to be here. How long have you been at Adweek now? I joined in June, so still relatively new and hope to be on this podcast again. Great. Where were you before Adweek? Uh, I was at Mike for about a year, and prior to that, I was at Politico, where I covered the media. Great. Well, I'm glad the listeners get to uh, meet yet another Adweek staffer, and uh, glad you made time for us. We've also got back Doug Zanger, senior editor on the Creativity Beat with me. Doug, how you doing? Aloha. Fine. It's good to hear your voice again. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Doug holds down our uh, famed Portland Bureau uh, <laughs> out, out west, a, the one-person bureau. Uh, how's, how's everything going in uh, Oregon? Well, the real Portland, not Portland, Maine, uh, is going great. 
It's been a nice summer and actually this week had a chance to talk to a couple of creative people at some agencies in Portland that aren't named Wyden and Kennedy and there's interesting (laughs) stuff going on out here. All right. Well, we have got uh, some really fun personnel news, which is more interesting than it may sound when I call it that. We've got an ad worth watching. We've got an ad worth mocking. And we've got our uh, a really fun discussion this week about our talent issue that's come, that just came out and our uh, grad guide, our tips for recent graduates and upcoming graduates. So let's, uh, let's dive on in. All right. My favorite news of the week, even though it may not mean much to people who came into advertising or maybe even came into Adweek at a certain time, but Alex Boguski is back. <laughs> Alex, uh, best known as a co-founder, pretty much, uh, of Crispin Porter Boguski. Uh, the agency existed before he and Chuck Porter uh, joined on, but uh, but you know, CPB was formed uh, with the you know with Alex Boguski. When I got into advertising around 2005, he was the only name people wanted to talk about. It was all Alex Boguski all the time. Adweek covered him, some might say, incessantly. Uh, He was our creative director of the decade. Uh, He won just about every award you can possibly win in advertising. And honestly, and I do not say this with hyperbole, was seen as the, the, the second coming, the messianic figure of advertising who would guide us to the promised land of digital and would make, you know, the world safe for agencies and creatives. Uh, he accomplished uh, mostly best known, I would say for Burger King, uh, did subservient chicken, uh, which ended up, it, it was, uh, Kelsey, are you familiar with subservient chicken? I know that's, I am not. <laughs> okay. So it's, it's one that like, again, if you were not in, in the mid two thousands, it was considered revolutionary today. It would just be considered yet another weird thing. Someone posted online, but like the idea was that there was a human in a chicken suit on a uh, supposedly a live feed and you could type commands for the person in the chicken suit. The the reference was supposed to be that Burger King does it your way. And so mm-hmm. you could tell this chicken to do anything and he would do it. Like sit down on the floor, lay an egg. I remember that was the first thing I typed. <laughs> lay an egg and the chicken lays an egg. Um, although I always called it a he, but obviously it laid an egg and it is a chicken. So I guess a she. Uh, but it was not, it was not a live cam. It was, uh, they just pre-programmed so many commands and then they were so careful with the looping of the video that like basically no matter what you did like do the chicken dance and then it would start doing the chicken dance um and so i have a question did it have could you type in whatever you wanted or were there a list of kind of pre-selected yeah like type in anything and then sometimes he just kind of made like a shrug or something or she she sorry Mm -hmm. Uh, if you said something that she was incapable of doing like yeah. a backflip or a cartwheel or something. And it was just one you figured out pretty quick that it was like that what the shtick was, but you didn't really care. Cause then it became a thing of like, I wonder how many I can find. Mm-hmm. They did so much work like this, uh, massive award-winning campaigns for Burger King. When Burger King's relationship with Chris Porter ended, they, uh, and the agency is now just called CPB. Uh, but when, when that relationship ended, Burger King went into a real creative death spiral. Uh, and only recently came out of it with Fernando Machado coming back on a CMO, uh, you know, hiring some stellar agencies like David Miami. But yeah, I mean, Burger King really, after they stopped working with with CPV, just fell off the creative radar altogether. And so Alex was seen as the driving force uh, to get to the news. Uh, so it's been eight years. It's been eight years since he left advertising. Uh, and, you know, again, he has returned like some prophesied figure. Uh, he will be the chief creative engineer at CPV. 
Uh, and their global CCO, Linus Carlson, is out uh, as part of this, you know, this scenario. I think the global CMO has also recently uh, left. And there's all sorts of shuffling going on at CPB. Uh, this seems like a pretty dramatic move, but one that, uh, you know, I think it got a lot of attention and maybe renewed a lot of faith. I, I personally say, I think, Katie, I'm curious uh, what your take is on CPB as someone who's been covering the industry in the post Bogusky era. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, you know, how do you, how do you generally feel about uh, CPB's output? It's a good question. I feel like I kind of look to them to some of their more iconic stuff that came out before I started covering them. So to your point, I guess I don't, I haven't really paid close attention to any of their work in the four years that I've been covering the industry. Like nothing to me that comes to mind as like, oh yeah, that CPMB ad, that was really great from last year. Like I don't have anything that comes to mind. Yeah, I think recently we've covered their work for uh, Fruit of the Loom, where they do they hid the right. packets of money. They've done some really, I mean, I think the thing they deserve a ton of credit for is Domino's. Uh, Domino's has become, you know, gone from being second place to Pizza Hut in the last few years to being the number one pizza chain in the world. Uh, and a lot of that is driven by their marketing. They, you know, they, they've done just so many amazingly clever things. The Domino's wedding registry, uh, the, you know, recently we've been talking about how they're paving potholes in communities to, uh, help get your pizza oh, yeah. home better. And that's gotten, I've seen that like on the news, that, the legit news, not <laughs> just the advertising news like us but uh that's you know that's gotten a lot of buzz uh but domino's has really exploded uh over the last few years in the good way while other pizza chains that i won't get into have not necessarily had the best too soon (laughs) too soon yes no it's not it's never too soon uh doug you have a huge network of folks in the ad industry in the creative industry specifically uh, you know, kind of, I know you were working in radio at the time that Bogusky was really uh, kind of doing his thing at, at CPB, but what's your take on his reputation and the legacy that he kind of left behind? Well, I think that when I looked at him really jumping into the scene and really exploding out publicly, um, you know, I, th- I think that that marked a moment of the rock star creative director. Uh, and I actually recall the the cover with with Alex and Andrew Keller and you know those were those were moments where we all looked and said wow you know this this guy is is something special so I think that he marked the beginning of the area the era of the rock star creative and if you go back I mean you have the legacies like the Burnbacks the Ogilvies those are those are a completely different category but I think that that transitioned into you know the rock star creative. And over the years, you started seeing a slow drip of other people rising to the top. And I think what's happening now is that we're seeing less rock star creative and we're seeing more rock star CMO now. I think the CMO has displaced, uh, or has, uh, displaced the creatives as the rock stars in the industry right now. And that's not to diminish the importance of what creatives do and especially senior creatives. I mean, they're, they're doing a lot of them are doing outstanding work, but I think the, the spotlight is focusing more on the CMO. And I think for Crispin for CPB right now, I think it's a good shot in the arm. I, I think it's definitely something that that's probably needed and his willingness to come back, I think, infuses a bit a bit of energy. And anytime you're doing creative work, momentum and energy are are two things that you definitely want and need. And I'm sure that he'll bring that back in some way, shape, or form. How it looks down the road, hard to say. But I think it was a good move. 
Katie, you uh, started out at Adweek covering the agency world and then transitioned to brands. Do you mm-hmm. do you agree with that 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 kind of rock star status has shifted? Yeah, totally. I think that's a really fair point, and I think you know our agency team, led by Patrick uh, Patrick Coffee, has done a really good job of kind of um, diving into the kind of darker side of some of these creative chiefs who have kind of risen to all this power and fallen for their antics. Um, And I think that's kind of given way, I don't know if it's the only reason, but a big reason why I think CMOs are kind of, in my mind, are a little bit more powerful at this point in time. Yeah, it is interesting that, I mean, there have been CMOs who've gotten in trouble, but it does seem like the senior creative director is most often the, like the bad dude uh, that's been uncovered. And we've talked on this podcast before about how much power at agencies has been centralized in senior uh, creative directors, whether they're CCOs or ECDs, that they are kind of these, traditionally have been these kind of unchecked monarchs of, uh, you know, where they get to make all the decisions on what really happens, not at the business level, but in terms of what creative gets decided, what what input gets included, uh, what the staffing at these agencies looks like. Uh, and yeah, I think you're absolutely right that I think a lot of, you know, Bogusky, to be clear, I, I've not heard of any, you know, any complaints about him when during his time, but I do think that he helped contribute unintentionally to this deification of creative directors as like these, you know, walking creative gods. And it's been kind of nice to have those statues pulled down over the last few years. <laughs> um, but speaking of the transition to, uh, you, you know, to the the brand folks being the rock stars, Adrian Lofton, the head of uh, global marketing for Under Armour, uh, has announced that uh, news, that, well, I don't know if she announced it, but news has come out that uh, she is has left Under Armour and she is going to Nike. Uh, which is probably the last place Under Armour wanted their rock star <laughs> marketing, uh, brand marketing chief to go. Uh, Adrienne, just uh, for the sake of full disclosure, she's on the uh, the Adweek Advisory Board. So, uh, you know, I've gotten to know her over the years, as many of us have. She uh, she is one of the brand marketers I think many of us look to uh, as you know a rising star in the industry. Uh, she is a you know she is a, a minority woman in an industry that has traditionally not been great about advancing uh, women or people of color, and uh, and so yeah she is I mean she is a straight up rock star I think if, if she weren't in Baltimore we'd probably see her everywhere you know it's just Under Armour's location has really been the only thing uh, and uh, I mean just tremendously respected in the industry uh, but this is kind of a I feel like I should know like a, a rain. Random rainstorm just broke out, so if you suddenly hear a bunch of tapping in the background of our podcast, that'll be the, the rain <laughs> kicking up here in uh, beautiful Hell's Kitchen uh, in Manhattan. Uh, but uh, so we've we've got a few things at play here with Adrian's uh, decision to leave. Of course, we don't know the exact ins and outs of that. Uh, we haven't gotten to talk to her specifically yet. Uh, but Under Armour's had a bit of a rough time uh, over the last year, year and a half. Uh, Kevin Plank, the CEO, has uh, you know publicly supported Donald Trump at a time when not many uh, brand leaders did. I don't think the athletes involved with Under Armour, obviously very well known for its celebrity endorsers, including The Rock, uh, and a lot of athletes, they did not seem to really love that. They came out kind of, uh, I would say, politely critical of uh, of Plank's decision. Um, but uh, but yeah, I don't know what else. Uh, and Nike, uh, meanwhile, has had its own. Uh, you know, criticisms of maintaining a bit of a, uh, a boys club culture. We have not heard the specifics of the allegations, but several uh, leaders in at the age at Nike uh, were let go uh, in earlier this year uh, over investigations into unspecified uh, allegations, which I feel is like become such a 
such a common phrase now. <laughs> like That's become the shorthand of unspecified allegations. And anyway, a few people are gone now. Uh, so it seems like a, a real win for Nike to bring her on. I, I think they're... Uh, I, I pulled a quote here uh, where Monique Matheson, who took over as HR manager at Nike, uh, there was an internal memo uh, that was acquired by the Wall Street Journal where she said that they had failed to properly promote women and minorities. Uh, so obviously bringing on Adrienne uh, is, a, is a big win for them. Uh, but, you know, Katie, we were talking before the recording about Under Armour creatively a few years ago was almost number one. Uh, they were really one of the best brands, but it feels like they kind of dropped off the 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 real top radar. Yeah, I feel like part of it is they I don't think they've brought on enough new talent to work with, so they've kind of relied on the same roster of athletes, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Like Steph Curry is a big star for them, and they tried this thing during the the playoffs um where they brought their own kind of like HQ game with Steph Curry. And I thought that was like an interesting kind of jump into their tech side of things. But I just don't think they like really capitalized on him as a star. And like, you know, they won. And like, why not put him in a big, beautiful ad like they had done before? And they're kind of relying on the same stars over and over again. And I think it's time for something new and different. Like all these other brands in this sector are doing so many cool, creative things like Nike, like Adidas. Their advertising is always fresh and it's always, you know, it always grabs your attention. And I feel like Under Armour just kind of lost that edge. Yeah, it felt for years like Under Armour was like coming up as like the rising brand that was going to be a real threat to Nike. Kelsey, what's your kind of take on those brands? Yeah, well, I think that I think you're right. I think there were a lot of big hopes about Under Armour. And last year for them was so, so tough. They had, I think, three percent revenue year uh, growth year over year. Um and Which in the media industry would be great, but probably not for a global apparel <laughs> I mean, company. Com- yeah, compared to 22% growth in 2016 or 28 and 2015, it was a big, big drop. And I think I think in 2018 they sort of struggled to to build build that back. I think, especially when you're considering uh, a brand like Under Armour, what are their competitors and what are they doing in the glo- in global marketing, right? I think that's the, their biggest uh, market they have to make up in, in North America too, but but they need to find someone to, to really help shore up their sales in North America and, and abroad. I think Nike has done a really good job of, of really compelling storytelling um, with a diverse and, and global cast of sports stars and personalities and i think that under armor has a has a lot to to do to make sure that they're competing in the same space it's interesting uh you know both what one thing that has been consistent between the two brands is that both are using their creative agencies a little less for big campaigns uh, with i would say different results so nike has done that they've worked with um must be something, which is a small agency in Portland that that split off from uh, from Widen, and um, they you know they did one of my favorite Nike ads of the last year uh, that was directed by Edgar Wright and was about the when the Earth stopped turning and runners had to start running to get it going mm-hmm. again. Uh, that they, a lot of people assume that was Widen Kennedy, uh, their traditional agency. Uh, that was from Must Be Something. The the shoe therapy campaign uh, with Lena Waithe uh, was actually created by um, the uh, by Dirty Robber, their production company. Uh, and so, but the quality is still really high. 
Like you don't look at any of those campaigns and be like, oh, this was the B team. Uh, you know, the brand has done a good job of keeping Wyden's vision uh, across those. I'm sure that's not always great news for the agency, but like, you know, at least the, the quality bar is still pretty high. Under Armour's done a lot of work lately without Droga 5, uh, you know, in-house produced. We don't know the details of those arrangements, but I have to admit the work is imminently forgettable. Uh, Katie, is, is that fair? Yeah, I agree with that. <laughs> okay, just making yeah. sure I'm not yeah. like, crapping on the bum myself. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it's like uh, Under Armour two, three years ago was an absolute marketing superstar with their work, uh, you know, on Rule Yourself uh, with uh, Michael Phelps and... Uh, you know, their Misty Copeland spot is to me one of the best ads of all time. Uh, yeah, all those ads are like the best ads, some of the best ads ever. And they've, they've kind of fallen off. And I think this is a good sign that that was probably not Adrienne's <laughs> decision, like that she probably favored uh, going in, in a brighter direction. So anyway, well, congratulations to Adrienne. And uh, it'd be interesting to see how this changes uh, you know, for, for both of those brands uh, moving forward. All right. Well, it is time to talk about this week's ads worth watching. I have been uh, off the grid for most of the week, uh, locked in some offsite meetings, for the, and I have seen almost nothing. Uh, I did take time to watch uh, the one that Doug, uh, but Doug has uh, been uh, you know, a hero running the creative beat here at Adweek uh, over the past week. So Doug, uh, I asked you to pick what you wanted to talk about this week. What do you have for us? Uh, well, we've got one good and one that could be considered bad and ugly. Um, the first... <laughs> Well, you know, uh, so the first one came from Walmart Canada. So long form seems to be the execution du jour. You know, we got to get long form. We got to get some long form content. So defining it uh, is, is a different conversation. So long form, usually, David, and would you agree with this, is 90 seconds or more? Is that how we're defining it now? Yeah. Yeah, I would say 90, 90 plus. 90 plus. Okay. Not quite Corazon, not quite 43 minutes, but, uh, but this three, like lately we've had like multiple 15, 20 minute ads. I'm like, at this point, these are no longer ads. This seven hour ode to parenting. (laughs) Um, so this, this came from Walmart Canada and it is, they call, they call it an ode to motherhood. And part of, part of why I liked it wasn't necessarily just, the theme of it. Because when you talk about parenting, and especially motherhood, there are some typical tropes that get thrown about. And it's hard to necessarily build a good narrative around that because it can be really predictable. But what I liked about this uh, spot that was produced by Scouts Honor and directed by uh, Mark Zebert, who has done a lot of work for Nike, Apple, EA, Adidas, and, and a bunch of other brands, what I liked about it is it was a, it it did feel like a bit more of a fresh take on the theme, and it was produced really well. It was well cast. The pacing was really good. And what I liked about the pacing specifically, and this is something that that uh, Josh Sternberg and I talk about all the time, and and Christina uh, Monlos, is that pacing is one thing that is often underrated in advertising. Um, and it's something that you don't necessarily say, oh my God, that pacing's amazing. But 
you can, when it's there, you can feel it. You absolutely can feel it. And this is one of those cases. So it goes through a bit of, of a narrative of child is born and then all of the problems that come with, with motherhood, whether it's uh, glasses, whether it's braces, and then as the children grow up and then, oops, she's pregnant again. And it goes through an entire timeline up to the first girl's birthday party that she needs to plan. And she needs to do so after 45 minutes of sleep. And I mean, really, it's definitely worth a look because it, the pacing goes up and then down and it's and it's really nicely done and it's it's pretty seamless. There aren't really any big breaks that get in the way of the story and it's fun and it does feel for lack of a better term, you know, Canadian witty. I, I mean, I like Canadian yeah, things. Yeah. Who, do, who doesn't like Canadian things? Uh, yeah, well, it's like a, if it were an American ad at all, especially from Walmart, it would be about the beauty and the majesty of parenthood and right. the, mar- the magi- magic miracle of life. And then this one's just like, oh, God, not a second baby. <laughs> right. right. So it's got a bit of snark to it. It, it. it feels a little bit like the chat book stuff that Harmon Brothers uh, did recently, where it has a little you know that that probably goes to the the far side of snark this is a nice delicate balance understated uh but really yeah definitely definitely hits the the canadian target and yeah i mean it's just it, it's one of those ads where you, you could just sit and try to deconstruct the thing but it's just good and there are times when you just have to sit back and go okay that's that's really good and that hits the strategy that hits the target that's exactly what this audience is probably looking for. Now, again, the trick with any sort of parenting ad is, and David, you and I talk about parenting ads ad nauseum, is how do you avoid the cliches? How do you avoid it becoming really predictable? And it'll be hard to, I think a follow-up to this is going to be difficult because usually the first one, the sequel sometimes isn't quite as good as the first one. So uh, I'll be interested to see if they decide to move forward with a sequel to this and, and what that would look like. Yeah, let's uh, let's listen to a little bit of it because I think the dialogue uh, will kind of give you a sense of the, the, the tenor, the speed, the tempo of this ad. Uh, it definitely drives it forward. Your daughter starts to grow her feet faster than the rest. Maybe her shoes are multiplying. Wait, that's not the shoes. That's you. You're pregnant again. Ah, how'd that happen? Right, romantic movie night with a bottle of wine while the grandparents' babysat happened. Ah. Breathe! Push! Ah. It's a girl. Hello, screaming mouth to feed number two. Three, including your husband. If only you could give birth to an extra pair of arms. Oh, and the hundreds of hungry bills chomping at your back pocket. Can't satiate their appetite. That savings account is getting gobbled up so fast. Especially since your oldest chose to play hockey. Why hockey? Maybe she can ask for those new skates for her birthday. Ah, her birthday party! The whole family's coming! Yeah, this felt like part of a trend, like, uh, almost like the nothing beats a Londoner of, uh, of parenting. Right. You know? <laughs> the nothing beats <laughs> a like, Londoner of Canadian parenting. Yes. Canadian parenting. <laughs> but I think you're right that, like, it, it does play to certain stereotypes uh, of parenting, certain tropes. Uh, but it does them, I think, because the... Because the tone's not like, again, it's not what a magical and perfect and wonderful experience parenting is. Uh, and there's not just like that tinkling music in the background while like a couple buys like their first tricycle for a kid. Right. Like it's actually like, yeah, parenting is actually kind of this like incessant, uh, you know, hell on earth some days. And uh, but that's OK. And of course, like Walmart is the hero at the end. 
Um, but uh, it's not the most fulfilling conclusion, I would say. I don't know. What did you two think? Eh. Yeah. I, I thought uh, that w- one thing that you always hear from brands is, is trying to get this this authentic storytelling. And this really struck me as as getting really uh, nailing the feeling of, of parenthood in a way that I think could make this maybe do really well on Facebook, right? If you have a mom who watches this and is thinking, oh my gosh, this is exactly how I feel. It's, it's something that can go really well in a, in a, and when you have people sharing ads for the right reasons, that's a, another way to really expand your reach. And I think, I think that's the, they're towing the line there, but I think it's good. You know, it's, Walmart is not the the hero at the end of oh wow all of my problems of motherhood are solved all of them are still there but Walmart is is helping make one of one million projects that this mom has to accomplish a little bit easier and I think that's the right that's the right place that Walmart wants to be uh, and, and I really like the the length of the the ad too. I was going to call it a short film, <laughs> but <laughs> right. Because that you did, you don't even know that it's an ad until the very, very end when, when Walmart arrives, uh, because it's really not, it's not about them for most of the, yeah, most of the ad. And I think, I think that, that too really leans into telling, telling it in, in a genuine way. Uh, I didn't notice any Walmart brand placements up until the very end and I it's a very frantic ad and I uh, which I think is you know speaks to the pacing that really it gets to the genuine uh, storytelling that they're they're trying to accomplish here but uh, that is why I think it, it's relatable and that's why people would would share it send it to their friends and say oh my gosh how true is this yeah, yeah. Um, so I think I think it really hit the uh, you really nailed it in a lot of ways. Yeah, I was a fan. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think it. No, never mind. I'm not going to go there. Um, I think whenever a long format for me, like you don't realize that it's actually three minutes, it feels like it's much shorter, and it feels like it kind of flew by. That to me is when it's done really well. Um, and I had that kind of experience watching this one. And just, like, some of the moments in it were really striking, like, when she kind of falls into this, like, water, and it's very serene for a few seconds, and then it picks back up, and it gets all hectic again. Um, yeah, I thought it was just done really nicely. Yeah, that's a real thing, because walking from the putting the kids in the car up to the front seat is basically a 30-second vacation, if David, you can compare <laughs> to that. Well, and the, the part that, that really stuck out to me is, like, pretty much through most of the ad, everywhere she goes things are exploding behind her almost like if it were an action movie, it would be fireballs, but it's like toys and mm-hmm. everything just flying out from doorways and hallways. Like she's always trying to stay one step ahead of it. And for me, it's like that if I leave a pristine hallway or room and like walk away and then turn around three seconds later, cause I forgot something. It is just a wasteland. Like my <laughs> kids have somehow in like 30 seconds managed to just pull everything off of everything and throw everything around and uh, so that's that was something that I was just like, yes, it, it does feel like that. Like as soon as you walk out of a room, it just explodes behind you. And you just like like any action hero with an explosion, you do not turn around. <laughs> Run away. You're saying, so, you're saying all this as I'm staring at a huge mountain of clothes that need to be folded. <laughs> so Doug, uh, tell us about the ad you did not love as much. 
Oh, Neymar. Oh, Neymar. Oh, all right. And you're gonna you're gonna have to, as always. I will encourage you to, to explain. Uh, yes. Yeah. Walk it back for those of us who are not following soccer as closely as as some Doug Zangers are. Right. So Neymar is among a handful of really, really, really good soccer players. And he is Brazilian. He plays for Paris Saint-Germain, uh, who said I wouldn't use my French minor. Um, <laughs> and he he's phenomenal to watch, an absolute phenom on, on the field. But one of his, one of the knocks on him is that he dives or that he flops. So for example, if he even gets just touched a little bit, he goes to the ground, like clutching his leg or whatever body part that he's holding, you know, his ankle, his foot, anything. And he just turns it into, as I noted in this particular piece, Nicolas Cage in Bad Lieutenant, really the big overactor. <laughs> and so he gets a tremendous amount of criticism for it, which I think in some ways is deserved. But he was getting a lot of criticism from the World Cup in Russia because there was a Swiss TV station that tracked the amount of time that he was actually on the ground flailing or either having an injury or feigning an injury. And it was 14 minutes. And that's a lot. I mean, that's a that's a long time. <laughs> I mean, that's half an episode of Seinfeld. And it it was it was just so over the top. So somewhere along the line. One of his people probably said, yeah, you know what? We should probably apologize for this uh, because most people were saying, hey, you need, to, you need to apologize for this. You need to talk about why you do this. And he wouldn't do it in the press, so he decided to hide behind uh, a Gillette ad. And this came from the brand in Brazil. And I don't know, you know, I... I I don't know exactly where it came from. I, I'm only assuming that it came directly from the brand in Brazil. It was specifically for a Brazilian audience. But once it was released, uh, most people looked at it as completely disingenuous. And it really, it really was. This guy makes, I want to say, about $40 million a year to kick a soccer ball around. So in a lot of ways, it's hard to feel sorry for the guy. But it was very much a woe is me. And you guys need to support me. And, and it... It felt like it, it. It just. I mean, I'm so angry at it. I mean, I just, I'm just, I like, which, which comes across in your post. Yeah, I just, I, I just think, my God, you know, why would you do this? So, I just feel like that if you're doing an apology ad, I, he shouldn't have done anything. I, I'm just, I'm so, I'm still dumbfounded by the thing because I, I was sent the ad and it's like, hey, you might want to write something about this. And my first reaction was. Oh my God, what is this? And I just feel like it's, sometimes it's better to say nothing than to say something that's completely disingenuous. And this, this felt very, very disingenuous. What's interesting is that athletes, high-profile athletes, have often used advertising not quite so blatantly to like issue an apology, <laughs> right? But like have have used it to massage their public image, right? Like because they can craft. The message. So you've seen this with LeBron, like when he left Cleveland and maybe a lot of people were just starting to think maybe he was a, you know, that he was a bit full of it. And you start to see these ads that paint him in a more human light. And, that, and you know, it's just like it's a it's a tactic that's been around for a while to to round out your public image. 
Um, but this one is just like, in lieu of a press release, I would like to take this Gillette ad <laughs> as an right. opportunity. Please watch my HBO true crime series. <laughs> this is right. like, and I, and it feels like, right? It's so, yeah. it's so dreary and black and white. That and kills me, the black and white. It's just so dramatic. I mean, which maybe seems like that's right up his alley. Yeah, it is. To be really dramatic. So <laughs> it's point. very on brand for him. All right. Well, I definitely encourage everyone to check out Doug's uh, teardown. Uh, <laughs> the headline is, Neymar's mea culpa could be one of the most infuriating apology ads ever. I like that apology ads are like a genre mm-hmm. of advertising. Are we going to get an apology <laughs> ad for this apology yeah, ad like, is the question. Right. That, that'll like, what brand would that be like? I, I would like to use this Colgate ad. <laughs> So, mm-hmm. all right, well, it's time to move on uh, to our big discussion of the week. We're going to take a little break, and then we'll be right back to talk about our talent issue and our advice for grads coming up very shortly. Are you making some hires? Don't forget, the search for the perfect job candidate is easier than ever right now. Adweek Jobs is offering unlimited job posts for one full year. Get your job listings in front of an unbeatable audience of qualified industry professionals and enjoy premium features like newsletter placements, complete resume database access, and more. This is a limited-time deal, so what are you waiting for? Visit adweek.com now and look for Adweek Jobs at the top of the site. There, you can click on Unlimited Job Postings to get this special offer. All right. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, this week is our talent issue in Adweek in the print edition, and we also have our grad guide, which we've been doing, I think this is like the third year. Katie, you've been working on this one for a little bit. Yeah, I think it's year three. Um, so the grad guide is one of my favorite uh, digital features we do, uh, articles with advice. And the best part is it kind of builds on itself because like each year, the last year's articles are still just as valid. So if you look at Adweek grad guide, you'll find uh, if you have, uh, if you're an upcoming graduate or recent graduate, you have... Um, friends who are or family uh, it's a good set of resources i'm not just plugging it. i actually uh, really think it's a great set of resources i want to talk about two new articles uh, that we've got this week uh, that kelsey and katie uh, both worked on separately uh, first i want to talk about five things you need to know to successfully advocate for yourself at your first job katie you wrote this one i love this topic tell me about uh, kind of the origin of this story. Yeah, well, so I was talking with Anya Fernando, who kind of pulls this all together, and we were looking back at a story I wrote a little while ago about um, maternity leave at ad agencies, and I had talked to a couple of women about, you know, speaking up and getting what you deserve, and that kind of topic really resonated with people, so we thought it would be a nice way to talk to new graduates and people kind of getting their first job about what they need to know to advocate for themselves themselves um, when they get that first job or when they want to go for that first promotion. So that's kind of how it came to be. Well, I feel like negotiation is the first thing that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the one piece of advice I give everybody. And I understand that it's tough for entry level people because they feel they don't really have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of traction, you know, they don't have a lot of leverage, uh, but they absolutely do. I mean, just real quick, I'll say as someone who's been in management for quite a while, like once you've decided this is the person I'm hiring um, and you may, you extend the offer. So like once I decide that I then have to go to my bosses and my colleagues and convince them all, this is the best person. We absolutely have to have this person. And then you call to offer them the job and they say, well, I'd like, I'll take it, but I want 10% more or something. 
then you have to like you don't want to go back to all those people, you know, and and be like, never mind, you right. know, they were they were slightly more expensive. Mm-hmm. So the the there is more pressure on hiring managers than people think. Uh, e- even with entry level folks, uh, just because the processes. And you have more leverage when you're getting the job offer than really yeah. any other time, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because they want you. They that's why they picked you. They're gonna try to convince you to come on board. And your starting salary. I'm sorry, Katie. I know we should let you actually talk that's about your. Okay, article. no, this but, is great. You know, your starting <laughs> salary really does. It sets so much about your time there. And the best companies, and I, I know we try to be one, uh, they they help avoid salary compression by recognizing that if we lost this person, if they went somewhere else, they would get a substantial jump. And then they would we would want to rehire them and they'd come back at 50% more than what we paid them when they were here. So it's a lot more to your benefit as a company, as a mature company, uh, to to increase that pay without you know, without just being like, here's your 5% this year, here's 3%, because then you'll, you'd be much better off leaving and going somewhere else. Uh, but so yeah, that starting salary, though, it's really the base that you're going to be working from for, for quite a while. So tell us about what you learned about, about negotiation. Yeah, well, obviously, I think the first point is that you do, as we've said, you do have that power to negotiate for a bump um, when you get that first offer. But I think it's also important what a lot of people were saying is, you know, doing your research ahead of time. And for those in the creative and marketing fields, the creative group does a salary guide every year where it looks at jobs across the field, but also entry-level jobs. And so it'll give you a sense of, you know, what the average going rate is so you can kind of figure out what your position is worth, how much you should be making, how much you think you can ask for. Um, So I think that's really important is just doing your research and not just saying, like, I want this much when it might be totally unreasonable. So having those data points, I think, is key going into negotiations and Again, just knowing that you do have the power to ask for more money. Um, That was one point that I thought was important. Um, Let's see. I think another good point is, um, you know, when you have that first job, asking for feedback constantly, not to be to an annoying amount, but, you know, checking in with your manager every couple of weeks, every week and saying, how am I doing? Uh, What could I be doing better? So then you're positioning yourself to get a raise, get promoted. Because I feel, I feel like a lot of people, when they get their first job, they're just like, I, I need to like settle in, get comfortable, keep my head down. And they don't really interact with their manager and say, like, you know, how am I doing? What could I be doing better? So I think it's really important to like have those open discussions with managers and coworkers and, you know, get feedback as much as you possibly can. Yeah, you know, I feel like there's this big misunderstanding that people have, and it's understandable, but like that people think that that the processes within a company will create those opportunities, right. that, that there will be like an annual review process, and that'll give me my chance to advocate for myself. The reality is like everywhere I've worked, those are shoddy and in, incomplete and not tremendously helpful, and management kind of hates that process as much as the people being reviewed do. Um, and it's just, it's not, it, that's not the forum for self-improvement, you know, is right. waiting once a year for your reviews. Um, those, those can be valuable, but I think it's this, it's maintaining a constant culture of learning and 
soliciting feedback um, and, and also raising your hand, you know, and just which I know is kind of the larger point of this article, but is the thing that I see the rarest among newer hires is is volunteering to do more, which is understandable. Like they're kind of swamped, right? Right. right. But at the same time, like if you see something, oh, you, we're doing a lot more video. I would love to learn more about video. What can I do to help that team? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without slacking off on your other roles. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, what any, anything else that jumped out from your article that you want to make sure we cover? Um. I think another really important part, um, this kind of goes back to doing your research, and I didn't quite hit on it as much as I wanted to, but um, you know, when you're going into salary negotiations, it's really important, according to the people I spoke to, that you have substantial, like, once you've worked there for a while, you have substantial points that you can turn to and say, remember when I did this project or I like increased our social following by X amount? Um, You can't just go in and say, like, oh, I heard that this person makes this much money. That's how much I want. You have to have really solid evidence as to why you've been an asset for the company and maybe think of ways that you can do more, to your point, take on more projects, um, find ways that you make yourself invaluable, basically. Yeah. I have a couple of things to add on that. Yeah. As it relates to as it relates to that point of of tracking, you know what you're doing. Always look for those success metrics, and don't just necessarily write them down. But think about how they're having a positive impact on the business. That's the one thing that you that you'll always want to talk about in a negotiation like that. Is to your point of raising a social audience and growth, but how is that impacting the business? So think think really hard about how that is doing that. And then the other thing around salary and especially negotiations, if you're, if you're being, if you're offered a job in New York, you know, it's one thing, there's a certain salary, but also if you're going into, uh, you know, another market, there may be a shift in the way that a company might think about salary. So if you're in a smaller market with a lower cost of living, a company might try to lowball you a little bit by by justifying it by saying, "Well, you know, it's cheaper to live here than it is to live in New York or San Francisco." Don't buy that because living expenses can get out of control really quickly. Uh, and you know, know your worth, know your absolute worth, and you have to take that into consideration, especially if you are in some of these markets where a company will say, "Yeah, but it's cheaper to live here." So don't buy that argument. Kelsey, was there anything you remember from your first uh, your first job out of college that kind of helped benefit you in terms of your career? Uh, well, a lot of things helped benefit me in my career, but I did not take any of the advice in this article. I was so <laughs> excited to have a job that I didn't, and I, you know, I regret that now. I'm, I'm, I think that I've made better choices at subsequent jobs, but. It's it's really important to advocate for yourself and know just because you're a recent graduate, just because you don't have a ton of job experience doesn't mean that you aren't an asset. You are. And I think that speaks to the point of knowing your worth is you are valuable. That's why they want you. And once you're there, you're also valuable. They brought you into the company for a reason. So it's important to have conversations with your managers, with your coworkers to keep that conversation of learning and advancing yourself and benefiting uh, the workplace as a whole. It's really, really important to do that because it will benefit you everywhere else you go. One last thing that I'll add on that is you have to remember that every day that you're working, you're on an audition. Every day is absolutely an audition, whether you know it or not. 
somebody might notice that you're doing something and be filing that in the back of their mind. And they might decide, all right, I'm going to give this person a, a real opportunity because I'm seeing what she's doing here. So just know that, that your work, even if you think you're working in a vacuum, you actually aren't. Either a competitor or somebody internally is going to look at that and say, wow, you know, she's amazing. Let's let's elevate her. Let's give her this real shot. I, I think even though this is mildly off topic, I'll give kind of uh, my best my best advice that you learn the hard way that everyone has to learn the hard way, which is that today's coworker is tomorrow's boss. And and that <laughs> sounds like it, it sounds hyper specific. But what that means is that like a lot of people like say things to their peers, right? Their colleagues, they bitch, they tell them like, oh, I sneak out, you know, early and I don't do this. And, you know, I, yeah, I was just telling that person I'll do it, but I'm not really going to do it. And then that coworker ends up getting promoted or you end up getting considered for a job and they ask your coworkers, uh, like, what do you think about that person? And they're like, yeah, that person like lies and gets cornered. You know what I mean? <laughs> so it's like, it's weird. Like, there's just this understandable uh, penchant for, um, for like, you know, commiserating with your, with your colleagues. Uh, but then on a long enough timeline, it doesn't take long, you know, that, that five years in people are going to be promoted. Uh, you know, Katie's been elevated several times and, and has just, Commenced a reign of terror on everybody. <laughs> hey, Christina is now my manager, so you I think that's a be, prime example. I mean, yeah. we're still good friends, but yeah. you know, it changes the dynamic, and because yeah. you guys worked side by side, as yeah, writers, exactly. You know? um, and so it's just one. It's not a bad thing. It's just that it's a good thing to keep in mind. It's a good thing to remember that when we all fall into that trap of just like bitching and moaning with each other, and then like you remember later if someone you worked with as a peer was always constructive and was always like, yeah, but let's try to stay positive. On it. Let's try to like stay focused on doing the job. Or if you remember that they worked long hours and that they like put in the time, you're a lot more willing to be their manager. Uh, but anyway, that's one again, comes up the hard way. All right, uh, Kelsey, <laughs> let's talk about your article. Uh, so what, what did you tackle in, the, in this year's uh, guide? So I was looking at side hustles, uh, which was a really fun project for me to, to look into. Side hustles are really popular, especially among younger people. Uh, Do you I, have a side hustle? I feel like we should get to that. I, you know, I, uh, I have ideas for side hustles. <laughs> uh, so maybe I'll report back in six months. Um, I don't really, but a lot of uh, a lot of people that I know do. About 51% of people between the ages of 18 and 37 have a side hustle that they do occasionally. And almost 40% Make money from it wow. once a month, oh, at least cool. once a month. So it's it's very substantial. Uh, and I think that what I learned in the conversations that I had is that a side hustle can be a really great way to flex your creative muscles uh, if you are not getting that at the job that you have or if you just have a dream project you want to pursue or maybe you're just looking to make some money on the side. There are lots of reasons to do it, but there's never been a, a better time to do it is sort of the lesson that I learned when I was talking to people. But it's not as easy as just coming up with an idea and and executing is a whole other matter, right? So yeah, yeah. so it's it's also harder than it might sound <laughs> in some ways. Well, and I think too, this came up recently where someone asked me, uh, maybe on Twitter, um, or maybe it was Instagram questions, actually, I think is where it was, is someone said like, uh, what, what advice would you give to recent grads uh, to help them land a creative job? 
and I will say side hustles, we see time and again, we cover this a lot, you know, where someone comes up with something on the side of work and it ends up getting them a new job or getting them a better job or helping them get hired. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of proves that you care about this stuff after the clock, you know, after the end of the day that you still actually care about creativity. Mm-hmm. And it could be a way to, as you said, direct your career in the way that you want it to. If you really want to do something uh, and maybe you're not working in that field right now, or maybe you're not at a level where you're doing the work that that you want to get in that right direction right away. If you're doing something on the side, you point to that later in a job interview or somebody sees a newsletter you have or a video project or a podcast or whatever it might be and says, oh, this is a great product that this person has been clearly putting a lot of effort in. That's an asset to our team or we want we want this person on our team because they have all these skills. So yeah. it can be a really good way to, to redirect your career in a way you want it to go. I spoke to uh, one woman, Amanda Eisenberg, who is a healthcare reporter at Politico New York. And one of the, uh, she was previously working on a, a, she still works for a a newsletter called She Spends, where uh, the women who work on it write about financial advice for young women, everything from negotiating a raise to how to budget to making big purchases, to investing. And because she had all this experience uh, working on this weekly newsletter, uh, that was that helped her stand apart uh, from the rest when she got this job, which she described to me as her dream job. So that's a, a great way to show that, that it can pay dividends. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, tell us some of the, the tips you picked up. Sure. Um, one of the things that I noticed is is that it's really important to to find your niche it's you should find a project that you're passionate about and and a a space where you really think you can excel so uh in amanda eisenberg's case she and alicia McElhenney and uh, Gemma frost all got together and started she spends because they noticed that a lot of this millennial uh, women's financial news was not really serving them in the way they thought uh, it should. Uh, so that's one particular niche. I also talked to Abu Zafar, who uh, is, he, along with about a dozen of his friends and colleagues and people he knows, uh, are working on a podcast called Lore Party, which is all about video game lore, because they couldn't find a podcast that did that anywhere else. Mm. So finding your niche is important. It's important to know what you're passionate about. And, and if you have an idea and no one else is doing it or not a lot of other people are doing it, chances are you have a great, a great place to start. I have to say my favorite weird side hustle, shout out to this guy, although I don't remember his podcast name, but I met a guy at a party once who said, uh, he's like, yeah, I have a podcast. I was like, Oh, what's it about? He's like, you know, the video game Hearthstone. And I was like, yeah. He's like, my, my podcast is about Hearthstone podcasts. It's <laughs> very meta. I was like, very that meta. is some inception. Right? That is a niche, right? Yes. <laughs> and that's I mean, a niche. You know, he's saying that, like, the people who, li- I'm sure it's a small audience, but, like, that the people who listen to it are really into it because apparently there's a whole subculture of podcasts about Hearthstone. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm not making fun of it. I'm just like, wow, that's something that never would have occurred to me. And yeah. He was obviously passionate about it. And his girlfriend was there. She's like, I'm glad he has an outlet for this. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wow. Uh, Any other tips you want to share from the article? Yeah, I think one of the most important ones I want to underscore is that the people that I talk to, they don't spend every single waking hour when they're not at work working on their side hustles. They recognize it's important to balance 
your passion project with your full-time job with maybe your social life <laughs> and it can be hard. And so it's important to, to, to take a break if you need to, if you're feeling burnout, that was one of the things I talked to with, with some of the people uh, that I interviewed for this story is burnout's really real and that's, uh, that's okay. You can still be passionate about something and think, oh my gosh, I can't believe I signed up to do this every week. I'm getting so tired of this. Take a break and then get back into it because that's your biggest asset is is your passion, especially when you're working on a side hustle because that's really what's going to drive you at the beginning. Um, so it's important to, to keep that passion alive and take a break if you need to and recognize that it's it's okay to do that. And <laughs> Yeah, that's like the downside of the, the Gary Vaynerchuk kind of vibe of like you have to always be crushing it is I've always been a big believer that like if you're, you know, that if, if you've got a, uh, a side hustle that you're doing because you're passionate about it and it starts to just be one more pressure on you, then it's like... It's okay to stop. Yeah, it's no like, longer a passion project, right? <laughs> you want it to stay a passion project. Yeah, that's like I remember the Gary Vee stuff. Like when it, you know when he was first blowing up, everybody's like, "Yeah, man!" And the Onion had an amazing headline that I, I I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's like, "Find something you love doing and do it late hours at night, seven days a week, without <laughs> money for the rest of your life." <laughs> <laughs> And it's just like, yeah, you have to just love it or else it just becomes yet another crappy thing uh, hovering over you. Katie, are there any good uh, like Adweek staff side hustles? Any that come to mind? I mean, the most recent one I can think of was Sammy who had her, she got a book published because she loved reading tarot cards. And I think she had podcasted about it a little bit. And then she got a book published, um, like a young adult book about reading tarot cards. I thought that was pretty cool. What's funny is I have had, you know, I have like no experience with tarot cards probably since I was like 13 years old. I've had so many people on Instagram or whatever be like, I picked up a pack of tarot cards and I was like, I have a book I could recommend. <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> I never thought I would say that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's like newsrooms. I feel like often. Yeah. Well, like themselves. Christina made a short film and got it into a couple of film festivals, That's which right. I thought Special was really election. cool. Yeah. Wow. So, mm-hmm. um, and she like, you know, took a whole weekend, filmed it and then did all of the, she worked with an editor obviously, but did all like the promotion and marketing for it all on her own. And I thought that was very impressive as well. I interviewed somebody for my story um, named Erin Burry, and she is the managing director and co-founder of 88, which is a creative communications agency based in Toronto. And her, uh, her uh, agency has, uh, they support side hustles. They really explicitly do. And they've tried to get some other agencies to sign on to supporting side hustles. And what she told me is, when you have creative people, you want creative people to work for you, um, but they're going to be creative in ways that you want them to explore all the time. And if that's a side hustle, so be it, you yeah, know, yeah. encourage yeah. them, right? They might become a client one day. Or <laughs> well, no, you're seeing more agencies invest in those side hustles, like mm-hmm. actually say like you're onto something. How about we help incubate? Yeah, yeah a lot of agencies are trying to start incubators. That's a good place to start, you know, like pump money into that. I would like to return to my paying side hustle of uh, canning pickles. Uh, believe it or not, this is true. Um, I think Katie and I are friends on Instagram, so mm-hmm. she probably has to sit through my pickling <laughs> photos. But like, I um, 
I, yeah, I started making them for fun and they're good. I'm obviously proud of them, but uh, I would bring them in. <laughs> like I, I had so many that I started bringing them into work when I worked at an ad agency and I would sell them for $5 a jar. Cause I'm a big believer. Like you should always get paid for your, for your work. Like, uh, you know, it took a lot of time to make those things. And so at first I was like, who's going to want to buy pickles from like a random coworker? And at first it was a little slow and then word got around and people would, and it got to where when I would show up at work, people, I couldn't even get to my desk. Like people would, would stop me and be like, how many do you have? <laughs> I'll, I'll take them all. Were you, buy, were you selling them by the jar or by the pickle? like i would just walk around like a big like jimmy john's jar and and a pair of tongs (laughs) know your worth david know your worth (laughs) no they were uh it was five dollars for a jar eight dollars for a quart and uh which i don't know i don't know how that pricing stacks up honestly but people paid it and that seems low seems low to me yeah well i mean they were artisanally bespoke uh pickles but no it was it was something that was passionate for me, and I loved that it brought in a little extra money that I, of course, like wasted on, you know, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, no, it was rewarding. It was just nice to have something else that you're doing with, with, you know, with, with your hands. You got another skill. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I don't know. It was, it was fun. Well, next time you're here, please uh, bring a few jars. I'll like, keep a five dollar yeah. bill. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you better. The, uh, you know, it's just it's tough to bring them up on an airplane since I'm not, I'm not based here. But I'll try. I'll ship it. Ship it. But you could box, ship them. Yeah. Box full of like shattered pickle jars will show up and be like, thanks, Griner. <laughs> well, we are out of time for today, but uh, thank you both so much, and I uh, and and Doug as well. Uh, and I encourage everyone to check out the uh, we've got the grad guide and the talent issue are all pretty awesome. Uh, check out Katie's story: five things you need to know to successfully advocate for yourself at your first job, and Kelsey's story: five tips for starting a successful side hustle. And all the other articles are great too. Uh, and uh, Doug, thanks again for wrapping up ads worth watching and for covering all the creativity stuff this week. We will always happy to be here. Yeah, we will be back uh, next week. Uh, this week's episode was produced by Anya Fernando. Uh, our music is provided by Home. And uh, we are edited by Lane McGivney. Thank you, Lane. Uh, please, if you haven't already, leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan.